Thank you for joining a Wondercare podcast. My name is Sheena Mitchell and I'm a pharmacist and mum of three. Today, I am joined by Louise Mills. On the 19th of November, 2015, at 9.29am, Evelyn Grania Wills was born. 12 days later, baby Evelyn died. The cause of her death was neonatal herpes. The herpes simplex virus is more commonly known as the cold sore virus. I'm so glad that Louise came on to talk to me today to share Evelyn's story so that Evelyn's legacy can be to create more awareness about the dangers of cold sores and newborns. Louise got in touch with me after a recent episode and contributions to the media about the dangers of kissing newborn babies. At some points over the course of the past couple of weeks, I've been accused of being sensationalist and OTT. This story, sadly, will show that the risks are real. And while they are rare, it is really important that people are educated and limit the risks of such an infection. Louise and her husband, John, faced horrendous grief, but they have channeled Evelyn's memory into promoting public health awareness for other parents, which hopefully will continue to make people more aware and help to save lives. Thank you so much for joining me today, Louise. Let's hear your story. Oh gosh, where do I start? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely a changed person since Evelyn came along. Yeah, we always wanted kids and then we were lucky enough to fall pregnant with Evelyn. We didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl, so we just were positive thinking. The pregnancy went really, really well. Everything was fantastic. She was so comfy, so cozy. And then um, since there was no sign of movement, they decided to induce her. But so from that day on, on the 18th of November, it was a bumpy road. The induction was slow. She was, she was distressed. I pretty much spent 12 hours on a bed with a monitor. My birth plan went out the window completely. Um, it was a tough old time. And the nighttime was uh, really difficult. They're so short staffed, the hospitals are. But everything up to then was fantastic. Honestly, we, we, we enjoyed everything, but the, obviously the distress that, of the little Evelyn. But she was healthy. She was fine. So the next morning, since I was still there and no movement, they decided to do a C-section and it was an emergency section. And at this stage, I was like, yeah, whatever you have to do. It was a long old day. So I woke up and I was told I had a little girl and I just cried tears of joy because I really hoped for a little girl. And John wasn't with me. He was downstairs. So he was downstairs and he said, um, told them the girl's name was Evelyn. I just cried upstairs on my own saying, I've got my Evelyn, you know. So he came up later and had a little video of her. So I was told her Apgar score was was low and that she just needed a little bit of treatment. And I was like, that's fine. Because like pre, you know, in your antenatal class, class, you could be told an Apgar score is low, could be low. So that's okay. Um, I'm looking at myself hooked up to oxygen and drips and everything. I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So that's fine. I actually, like in hindsight, I had time to recover in hospital because we were separated. She was born on Thursday morning. Yes, yeah, so the I said the birth plan went out the window, but I was so relaxed. You know, honestly, during this pregnancy, it was we were so happy. We looked forward to everything. I was as calm as could be. So when I heard she was in Nika, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. They told you not to need class, things can go wrong or whatever. Saw a picture of her, saw a little video of her. I was told she's fine just to bring up her score. Then the Friday, I still hadn't seen her, but they were concerned about me. She had bounced back a little quicker. She was off the oxygen. So I ended up going to St. Vincent's without having met her. I spent eight hours in St. Vincent's. Um, so I had to ring the parents and say, uh, you can't come in today. So she had no little visitor. So I had John in there just doing what he could do. Not much when a little baby's in the incubator. He was like, she looked like the healthiest baby in, in Niku. Like she was fine. She was in an open box. Like... So I didn't actually get to meet her till the Friday at nearly midnight. 
And I will always treasure that memory. It was absolutely amazing. The first time I did skin to skin, it was just absolutely beautiful. So she was, she was recovering. There were nurses upstairs were looking after me. And then I went down to see her the next day. So I only saw her like about once a day. You just, you didn't really get time to see her much. Luckily, Hollow Street now have little cameras. So if the mom and baby are separated, you can actually keep an eye on your baby. And then I saw her in HDU. And I even remember when the healthcare system's asking for clothes, I handed over clothes going, that's okay if somebody dresses my baby, you know, I'll have plenty of days to dress her. Still didn't bother me, completely relaxed. So we finally got her on the Sunday and it opened our ward. So then I was able to have my mom in and his mom in and stuff. So it was great that she finally met the grandparents. And honestly, those couple of days relaxing or recovering after a C-section, I was like getting up, picking her up, no bother. So relaxed. It was a completely different experience to when I had Abigail. And um, we were fine. She got her heel prick test. She got all her usual bits and pieces, the hearing test. And we left on Tuesday morning. Absolutely like thrilled. My mom came up and spent the day with us on the Wednesday because John was off um, at work. And then we had Thursday, the public health nurse came out, not bothering her, did all the usuals, you know, did everything she was supposed to do. We had Friday, then we had Saturday. We took her on our first little spin down to mom and dad. So we had a little bouncy chair for her and she just relaxed and that slept. She was like clockwork. She slept four to five hours. She fed well, everything. You were just up 45 minutes with her. You sourced her out and put her down. She was a dream. Like you could have asked for better. But then John had a bit of a head cold and she became a little sniffly. So we're like, I think we'll keep her in on Sunday. And then on Monday we were like, she's a bit cool, but first time parents, a new baby. We just put a hat in her. We kept her cozy, but she was still doing everything. She was still drinking, sleeping, everything like clockwork. So we still didn't worry about her. Then I was talking to mom and I said, she's due a two-week checkup maybe we'll just move it to Tuesday like it was due on the Thursday so but at 10 o'clock on the Monday night um John was changing her nappy and Evelyn didn't resist she just lay back as if like whatever and he's like something's not right usually she used to kick her little legs or have a little moan she's not she's not giving out to me and we looked at her and she was like kind of zonked like it was weird so he ran down, we rang my mom and he went down to pick my mom up and bring her up. And while my ma- while they were collecting to my mom, she literally just flopped in my arms. I'm like trying to wake her up. She was just like a rag doll in my arms. Then my mom came in and she perked up. She heard my mom's voice. She perked up. She cuddled into mom. She was fine or appeared okay. But then we, mom's like, yeah, no, green the doctor in the morning and just bring her in for a checkup. And then she went pale and her lips went blue. And then we got out the ear thermometer, which we never used before. wasn't working, wasn't registering. Obviously, she was cold. We were given the number for Hollow Street, so we rang them. But the pediatrician didn't want us to bring her back in. So we said, OK, we'll bring her to Tala. And we thought it was quicker to bring her ourselves. So we did that. She perked up in the car. Beautiful, glossy lips. If I put lipstick on her, she was fine in the car, just sleeping. Again, you think there's nothing wrong with her. So we registered her details. He was parking the car. And then we brought her in and we said, there's something not right. We don't know. I took her office and then I told mom, will you watch out for John? And then they were in the room and they picked up the red phone to call like the team in. And I said, I'm staying here. You watch out for John. Because I couldn't think about the two of them. And I stayed there while they treated her and they did everything they could. And at first, like we were thinking, we just packed a quick bag, think we'd be just in hospital for a couple of days. We didn't think we'd pack in a bag and coming home empty handed. And then at one o'clock, uh, coming into the first, she was pronounced dead just after 1am. We were just completely stunned. We couldn't believe it. So then we had to start making the phone calls. His parents came up. 
we were had to bring home to my dad. And it's just surreal. You're just like going, how did we go from a baby who was stronger than me to a baby that is now lying cold in my arms? The nurses in Tallow were absolutely amazing. They took little a little lock of our hair. They took handprints. They took photographs for us. We had as much time as we wanted with her. But it just got to the point of pure fatigue that we said we had to go home. And it's amazing in those moments when you've had a, like you've always understood the bit, like you'll do anything for your child or you'll just make decisions. Like I didn't want to take her home. I said, no, no, she came home alive. I can't bring her home dead. So I don't want to take her home. So Tala kindly kept her there. And then the next morning we made our way to Crumlin Hospital where the postmortem was going to happen. It's, it's just a bizarre, bizarre feeling. So we're left then with a, not even a two week old baby going, what happened? Like we were still only telling people she was born. Not many people had met her because it was all like, you know, new mom, I'm barely home from hospital and people had respected that. And um, yeah, so we made this decision at four in the morning. Anybody who didn't see her alive will not see her dead. It's like this protection. And I didn't want them to have the only memory of her in a coffin. So we spent the next few days preparing for her funeral, which it happens way too quickly here. And deciding what do you what do you bury your newborn child in? The one who was perfectly healthy, like you know, what do you put in the basket, what do you put in the coffin, like what do you do. So we got through all that as best we could. We told the public health nurse, as I said, she was fine with her. And then a week later, we got a call from Talon. We were called up, and we were told that she had herpes. And we were like, what? We'd never heard of this. And we're like herpes, you know. And then it was like basically a cold sore. And we looked at each other. We don't have cold sores. And then that's when they gave us the stats for America and the UK and Australia. And you're like, what about Ireland? We don't have any. Well, how did this happen? Like, you know, it's like with so many questions and no answers. And um, why didn't they tell us cold sores could be dangerous? Like, uh, why do we not know this? Because as a pregnant mom, you're told loads of things to keep you, yourself and baby and bump safe. So we suddenly on walking back out to the car park, we said, we have to do something about this. Her death was not in vain. We are going to do something for Aveline. And yeah, I spent my maternity leave creating her website, creating awareness and going on a strange journey. So, um, yeah, I've changed from being the completely positive, relaxed mom to I will do anything for my child and I'm doing this. And then subsequently getting pregnant again was a nerve wracking experience. I was a different person pregnant. Now that I'm coming out the other side and that my second girl is six, we openly talk about death, grief. She knows all about her sister. So yeah, I've learned, learned not to be afraid of death and grief. I learned how to talk about it and also learned how to tell people and raise awareness. Yeah, she's taught me so much. I'm so, so grateful for that. Of course, I absolutely miss her so much and I wish she could be here. But I know she's made me stronger in so many different ways. She's amazing. The thing that strikes me, I think, most is the speed at which all of it happened because I know myself having a C-section, you know, and you had the time and she wasn't with you in the hospital and, you know, eventually you got her, but you do, you absolutely put your faith in the system that yeah. you you need medical attention and your baby did and, you know, yeah. they're in safe hands and you're right, like the... The care that we do get in the maternity hospitals is amazing, under-resourced, but very, very amazing. There's amazing people in there doing amazing jobs. But to go through that kind of 
rushed, weird, confusing time of, you know, having carried your baby for so long and then being separated from her while in hospital and then getting home exhausted, still recovering and then realizing that, you know, Evelyn was an absolute dream of a baby sleeping. Absolutely dream. I actually called her an angel because she was so good. And then once she became an angel, people would met my second daughter and then they'd be like, oh, she's an angel. And I was like, don't call her an angel. Call her a fairy, call her anything, call her whatever you want. Do not use the word angel for her. It's like this protective word. It's like, no, no, Evelyn can have that one. It's really weird. She just got hooked on a word. Because even the day of the funeral, I heard somebody saying she lost her baby. And immediately from being so relaxed, this anger came to me. I was like, she's not a house keys. She's a shoe. I did not lose her. She died. And I did not realize that was the start of me using the correct vocabulary to describe what happened. You know, I do use the hashtag baby loss because for baby loss awareness, because it covers all types of pregnancy and loss and whatever, whatnot. But she died. And you just want to make it clear. I didn't. You can lose a friendship. You can lose your house case. You can lose your way. But you don't lose a child. And that's what I find really hard. Like you live without them and you've lost the memories that you're going to make. You've lost those. So I think without realizing it, it's something I never, ever thought about beforehand. It's the language around death. And it's like even the thing where I've heard that somebody dies twice. The first time when they die and the second time when their name is never mentioned. And that's where we want to keep Evelyn's name alive. We want to keep her memory alive and we want to share her story. Because yes, she physically is dead, but her legacy isn't. I know you've had no choice but to look at the face of grief and death straight on. A lot of people obviously have a lot of fear around death and dying. And so I suppose the word loss is used to soften the blow. Yeah, avoid it in a way. Yeah. People are afraid. And it's actually strangely, it was a little kid next door who taught me to be strong. So she was only like a toddler. They taught us have a way of emphasizing one word in a sentence. So she told me, you and John were on TV. And then she goes, your baby's dead. The father was embarrassed. And I said, yes, she died. And that's how I've raised Abigail. She knows that her sister died. She knows her grandfather died during COVID. She knows there's a finality. She asks questions. We welcome them all. But we don't want this like they're just gone somewhere. They've just disappeared. I'm just determined to use the correct language because I feel it gives more respect. Like you say somebody was born, you don't have a wishy-washy way of saying they came into the world. I know we're slightly digressing, but it's just something that I feel passionate about to make it clear. People are afraid to mention your daughter's name because they're afraid it'll upset you. But by saying her name or any loved one's name, you're remembering them person. I've been so open and work about it, so open with her website, but people are afraid. Like even when we were talking about children, I'd be like, oh, I remember when Evelyn used to do such and such because she was so, she was actually so smiley, so alert, so chatty. She even had little sounds, vocal sounds. My colleagues would go quiet. But if I said Abigail did such and such, they'd be like, oh, right. you know, they can take it so differently. We should be allowed freely remember our children if we are comfortable to, no matter what age they were. Yeah. And that's where I think society needs to allow us to adapt and you know like if you say your grandmother died at 88 they'd be like oh god you lived a great life you know and it's taking a different attitude but if baby dies they don't know where to look yeah. and especially even on subsequent pregnancies people go oh is this your first and you're like no it's my second oh you're grand so and you're like no actually I'm not because my first child died and they're like again don't know where to look because that's the hardest thing that even society doesn't know how to help you with 
is your first time experience on your second born. I feel you need more support, whether it's the public health nurse, whether it's the hospital. And another thing that the public health nurse or the hospitals don't help you with is after your baby has died, nobody tells you what to do. Like your milk is still coming. You don't realize, you don't know what to do. You're in slush shock. You're so busy organizing a funeral. And then you realize, well, what am I doing here? There's lack of support around just the care of the mother and yet equally the father. A lot of people always remember the mother like in the, in the grief element. The father has lost a lot as well because they've only known the child for those number of days when the mother has carried the child for X number of months and the time the baby was around. There is a lot of lack of support around how to deal with your breast milk coming in, how to deal with your hormones. I think the hospital or just in general, we just need more support on that because I don't know how I muddle through it. I honestly don't know how I muddled through it. That was hard. We did have first light because the social workers in Tala Hospital got us in touch with first light. So we did start counselling that way and couple counselling that way, which was good. But there wasn't a lot of medical support or advice on how to move forward. So you got like the headspace counselling for your head and the emotions you're going through. But physically, no. Probably a very important role for the public health nurse. They need yeah. to come to the home and yeah. they need to support you through the physical changes that happen. As they would if your baby was still alive. Yeah, because your body thinks the baby's alive. Yeah. Or your hormones do. Engorgement yeah. and all of that. And as you said, you're, you're, you're not in a capacity really to be able to mind yourself. You know, when you're pregnant and all is well, you're researching how you do this, that and the other. You've got time. But when you're thrown into grief, it's not like you want to go and Google what to do about engorged breasts when you're, it's, it's absolutely wrong that there isn't enough support there. I'm sorry to hear that not not okay can you tell me a little bit more about neonatal herpes and the symptoms you know obviously you had very little to go off with Evelyn what have you learned since well since since Evelyn died from it we obviously started researching and you can just pop in any google search you'll see it all around the world sadly babies are affected as you're probably aware the last five days of pregnancy and the first five days of birth are the most critical time for a newborn. Whether I had contracted in the last five days and I passed on to her during delivery or during um, uh, laboring, or then the first five days she contracted from somebody. So in Evelyn's case, it would have been contracted from somebody within the first five days of life. Because of her type of herpes, what it was, it was all completely internal. And as I said, she was quite a vocal baby, but it towards the end, it sounded like she had a sore throat. And that's where we were thinking she could have picked up a bit of a head cold from John. You know, it's November, it's wintertime, bugs are around. It wasn't like, you know, COVID time where there was masks and sanitizer and people are cleaning and everything. But yet again, she didn't have many visitors. So it was actually her throat was really raspy and we thought this was quite unusual. And that's where we were kind of going, she is under the weather. But when we actually got the post-mortem results, the pathologist, he was fantastic. We got to meet him. He talked us through everything. He was not surprised when he knew he was doing a post-mortem on a 12-day-old baby. In his head, it was like neonatal herpes, um, I think strep or something else. I'm not sure, 100% sure. But he, his familiarity was, would be one of three things. So we were so totally shocked that he was not surprised it was that. But yet... It wasn't a well-known thing. So we got the postmortem results and our GP kindly went through them with us. Her liver and her esophagus were destroyed. It was completely internal. What we've since read, because people get in touch with us when we first went live in 2016, people get in touch and old children would get it and they could get it, like still young babies, they could get it because they've started crash. They could get it just because somebody kissed them. And then, as I said to you earlier, babies start exploring their face and mouth. So it'll come out in kind of like a chickenpox rash kind of all over the face. Generally, they can be brought to hospital, but again, the first thing is not always thought of as herpes. 
But if they, they do test it, the baby may survive. We've heard from parents where the children have been brain damaged and they fear another outbreak of the virus in them because we don't know how much it's going to deteriorate the child. So we basically had the choice afterwards what we were going to do about it. Um, obviously, a lot of people told us to sue when we said, why? She's not here. We want people to learn from it. Obviously, if she was here and she was brain damaged and she was in some strange capacity, yes, it would be a different scenario. Our lives would have changed forever in a completely different way. And yes, we might have considered our options then. But we really wanted to raise awareness. We wanted people to know beforehand that you need to be careful. Like everybody knows there's a chance of miscarriage. There's a chance of a stillbirth. But just to be careful with the babies, to be like with your visitors, with your hand hygiene, with kisses. I said it can be taken from any source. Because Evelyn was distressed, she had the little, um, while she was still in the womb, she had the little prick in her head. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but she had the little test on her head. So we know that's another open source that she could have contracted with a slip up of hygiene or whatnot. So yeah, it was a secret. It's a secret illness. Like it's a silent death. She was strong throughout it all, but we just didn't know that this little girl was quietly dying inside. And that's horrific as a parent, not knowing you can fix it. When you physically see something, you can treat it or you can give something. But um, she was a silent, quiet death. Abigail, now, obviously you've said you've spoken to her a lot about Evelyn. And I do think that children are amazingly accepting I think that's a wonderful time to be honest and frank with them because it shows them that it's okay to talk about things as they actually are. Does she enjoy remembering that she had a big sister? She does. Like she sometimes says, you love Evelyn more than me. And you're like, (laughs) why'd you say that? Well, she was first born. But or like she's looking for another sibling and she goes, but I'm not a big sister. And like, I know I have a sister, but I can't play with her. You know, so she tries to phrase it around this way. But when her granddad died from COVID back in April 2020, she said, well, granddad can cuddle Evelyn. So she was very accepting of it. And back then we couldn't see, you couldn't go to funerals. It was all the whole ritual of funerals was changed in COVID. But she accepted it in her stride and it was absolutely beautiful. So we do pop up to the graveyard and we see her sister's graveyard and she brings toys up. She brings plants and she goes, brings pictures and whatnot for her granddad. So she's very open and accepting about it. We never told her exactly where she died because we want to try and find this happy balance between her fearing that people die and, you know, not knowing when somebody's going to go on her. But we just said that she was very sick with an infection the doctors couldn't fix because we don't want her to have a fear of the going to hospital or the doctors or any system like that. So as she's older, we'll explain more what it was and how it came about. But for the moment, it's just she knows it's an infection. And she's totally fine about talking about dying and death. Like even she was looking back at my pictures. If she sees a baby picture, she's not actually sure is it her or her sister. And she'll ask, and then can I see my picture? So I bring up her pictures and I'm scrolling down the row and she goes, Mommy, why do you have so many pictures of me as a baby? I'm, I'm grateful that I took a picture every day or practically every day of Evelyn. And then before I got a chance to answer it, she looked at me going, Mommy, were you afraid I was going to die? And I turned around to her and I said, I'm not going to lie to her. And I said, yes, it's, it's life is so, so precious and so short that I, I told her the truth. But she she basically answered it herself, really. It's just for her to realize. But she, she does know people have a lot more numbers left to live, but she does know people can die at different stages and for different reasons. So we just like to keep that open. I follow Caroline, who's written a book. We call, It's a continuing bond method. So we can always continue having Evelyn in our family. Like Abigail will say, you know, when this guy come, comes for the census for the CSO, she would say, he'd say, how many people are in the house? She goes, well, there's four in my family, but there's three in my house. 
So I'm always so, so proud of her that she can do that or her back to school photos and her preschool photographs always included um, a little babble gavling, you know, so she knows we're a family of four, but we live as a family of three. So it's amazing. And that's so important for everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. I recorded an episode, as you know, about kissing babies and the risks associated with it, particularly under three months of age when immune systems aren't fully developed. It was about kind of three things. First, neonatal herpes, as we're talking about today. Also, RSV as a real risk because of its complications with breathing. And then diseases like hand, foot and mouth disease, which are carried by lots of toddlers. So I've been doing a lot of work talking to lots of local radio stations about this, trying to increase awareness and I suppose just give parents confidence who maybe feel like or are being made feel like that they're being overly precious about their babies or that they are overprotective and just OTT. What would you say to those people? I think it's up to the parents to follow their gut instinct, especially like we've had three years of COVID, hand sanitizers and masks. But even prior to that, it was obviously like my Abigail six now. So we've been through that where strangers would come up. Like literally when somebody was coming up to me, you're kind of wondering, am I supposed to remember her? Is like she my mom's friend or something? But it was a complete stranger just wanting to have a go with a baby. Oh my God, I had always had sanitizer, always had wipes. I was anxious bringing her places. And as soon as Abigail got old enough to, you know, play at a coffee table, coffee shop table, or to put things out, clean down the table. The hygiene in shops before COVID was absolutely appalling. So when COVID came in, she got used to me always cleaning the coffee shop table, always clean her hands. I didn't want to do an OTT in it, like I didn't necessarily was cleaned out my shopping or anything because she wasn't touching everything there. But it was like in a coffee shop or some home environment like that where she'd be touching the table, I would clean. When strangers came up to us, I would kind of try and hold her back. But certainly if they touched her, I would clean her down, even if it was just a baby wipe. So personally, I was very anxious mother on Abigail. I was very calm on Evelyn, but once knowing how she died or what the results of her death with the herpes, I was a lot more cautious and a lot more careful with Abigail. And but also like it took me a long time to let her go to any play center. It took me a long time to do that. I know you can't wrap your kids up in cotton wool. And I know you have to find the happy boundary of letting them out. But I think a parent just really needs to have to decide what's important for them. Like today, yeah, a lot of people would be more careful because there's a lot more awareness, like you doing your article on the different illnesses that could pick up. Because I, I do even remember when Abigail got hand, foot and mouth and bringing her to A&E in Crumlin. That just, it, it freaked me out. It had me on a completely other level. We were soon reassured it wasn't her piece, but it was scary to see her break out in a rash. We did not know what it was. I don't think parents have been OTT. And if somebody wants to say they're being OTT, they can just tell them to back away, like, or they can just tell them, this is my decision. We were that extra bit cautious and that was how we felt safe. But we weren't passing around like a toy. Look, there is no one listening today that isn't going to understand your resistance and your fears after your experience. And I suppose what I'm aiming to do is to just for people to know that they have a right to be comfortable. And they have a right to be confident that their baby is safe. Your baby only gets their first set of vaccines at two months. And by three months, they've kind of established some bit of an immune system. For neonatal herpes, the greatest risk is under four weeks. There is no benefit of exposing children and letting them, oh, sure, it's good for their immune system. They have to get a few bits of things. No, that happens later in life. That happens when, you know, you're an older child and a toddler and you're more robust and you actually have an immune system that's capable of developing antibodies. But when it's not physically possible, it's just not right. For babies under two to three months, like caution is needed. And really, that's all 
I suppose we're trying to say here today and to emphasize you're doing absolutely amazing work remembering Evelyn and people should really look at your website and I'll put a link in the show notes. Can you tell me a little bit about your campaign and how it started and where you've gotten to today? Okay. Um, well, as I, six months maternity leave, I suddenly learned how to create a website. We had some fantastic people supporting us in Hollis Street. My doctor at the time, Mary Higgins, put a point us in the right, the right direction. We met a lovely neonatologist, um, Dr. John Murphy. And we started working with Dr. Killian de Gascoon. And how we actually realized there was a problem is we got the idea to test her heel prick card. And her heel prick card was tested and he said there was no herpes in it. And I was like, that's bizarre. Because like even when we had the meeting with Hollis Street, they were kind of saying it could have been a visitor and we had to acknowledge it could have been a visitor. But due to those strange circumstances, nobody touched her till Saturday and she was born on a Thursday. I got access to her file and then I looked at the dates of the results for the first heel break test card. She'd had two. One I was present with because I remember warming up her tiny little foot for it and one I wasn't present. So they had tested the first card. So then I requested with Killian, could we actually get the second card tested? And that showed she actually had the positive, the positive diagnosis of herpes before we left the hospital. So that gave us the grounds that we knew that it had happened in, within Hollis Street. So now we could kind of work further with it. So we met with Karina Butler in Children's Hospital. We were so blessed to be given the right context, the right people to actually help us create the website and to oversee it. Between, as I mentioned, the pathologists, um, Michael McDermott, Karina Butler, Killian de Gascoon, and then the hospital staff within Hollis Street. They want to know how they could help us. What Hollis Street did immediately after um, Evelyn died and they realised it was an issue, they started to stock cold sores, cream and cold sore plasters in the pharmacy. Up to then, they hadn't um, stocked them. And I imagine then it was up to the staff members just to make sure they had them on, in their locker or whatever. So they did start to do that. But we wanted more. We wanted it to be said in the antenatal classes. So we spoke to the midwife who gave ours and she said she would, but she wouldn't mention our name. And we're like, no, no, we want her website shared. So we had to encourage that. We also asked for um, like a notification, the way you'd see give up smoking during your pregnancy or a little note when you're in the writing room to be seen you'd see all different things to stay healthy you know looking after diabetes or looking after your diet we were hoping a sign could go up about cold source it was a bit of a compromise and they put up a poster with different infections so it wasn't quite what we looked for but it was there and in fairness they have actually got her website linked on their website and then we asked for on the visitor section so if a visitor's coming to the hospital they know to be careful the next thing we got in touch with was the National Women and Infant Health Programme we met up with them and they produced a learning notice that, that was signed off by the Master of Hollow Street as well. And that was sent to all maternity units because we didn't have the resources to reach out to the maternity units. So we wanted to try and get somewhere with that as well. So we got that signed off on. And the next thing we did was with Dr. Ronan Glynn. He helped us reach with Minister Harris when he was um, Minister for Health. And we got neonatal herpes signed in as a notifiable disease. Now, to get the last two pushes with the HSE and with the Mr. Harris, we actually had to have an inquest. But an inquest was never called for Evelyn itself, herself, like, and we were surprised at that because it was a sudden death. So we actually decided to push for the inquest. And we had that on Halloween 2018. And then subsequently, we met in December 2018, we met with Mr. Harris. So we're absolutely delighted that pre-COVID, we managed to hit our targets or we managed to hit what really would make a difference on the day-to-day -day lives of women. I don't know if all 19 maternity units 
are giving out the information. We were hoping to do a bit more work with them. And also what Mr. Harris helped us to do was we were struggling to get in touch with the GP um, network, the GP college, um, as we wanted to bring the news closer to home, closer to the community, because our GP didn't realise it was an issue and a lot of people didn't know it was a problem. So we did manage to have in October 2019 a talk in Galway at their AGM or their conference with the student doctors. So we did manage to do that and we were hoping to do more, but COVID has kind of gotten the way. So we definitely are always open to bring her awareness, to share her story and to bring it anywhere in the community that would help people, whether it's the antenatal, whether it's the postnatal with the public health nurses. But um yeah, I can't believe I can't believe what we have done. And TV three were great. They had us on a couple of times. We've been on News Talk, we've been on RTE. It's it was the absolute coverage we got for her was amazing. But you're still meeting people that are like, What? That can happen. And you're like, You've got a small baby. Do they not tell you when you're in antenatal class? So we we want to see if that learning note has been pushed further. We want we would love to keep going, but we're kind of stuck at the moment. We're not sure where to go next. But um, hopefully we can keep raising awareness. I know that a lot of midwives and nurses listen to this podcast and we will share it as much as possible. Thank you. Thank you. Even the fact that you've explained the risks to a large group of parents who listen to this show and follow me on Instagram, there's potentially more lives being saved there. And that is to you, John and Evelyn. And Abigail, we're going to throw her in. She gets, she's going to get credit too. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing some work. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Her work is so important because keeping Evelyn's memory alive and remembering yes. that you will always be a family of four, albeit a grieving one, is hugely important. And keeping her story alive keeps awareness going. And it's such a wonderful and hard thing to do to talk about your own baby's death. But if it can prevent anyone else suffering from this rare condition, 100%. then, you know, it's, it's just remarkable. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. And as I said, I'll pop all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Sheena. I do really appreciate the opportunity because it's, it's been a long time since we've publicly done anything. So it's, it's great to keep her memory alive and keep it going. Thank you so much.